I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. So Parliament is back and the minority Liberal government has unveiled its throne speech. They put climate change front and center and want to set a target to achieve net zero emissions by the year 2050. Plus, there are affordability measures for housing, a tax cut for the middle class, consumer stuff like cutting wireless service costs by 25%, increasing the federal minimum wage, making parental benefits tax-free. There is mention of a pharmacare plan and a promise to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Nick, I'm out of breath. What's the big standout for you? Oh my goodness, the big standout. It's kind of like, it's a grocery list. It's like, let's go through what all of the opposition parties and what the liberals have promised in the last federal election. And let's try Mm -hmm. to tick as many boxes as possible. But the things that really stand out for me would be things that connect to what I'll say the middle class. You know, the whole idea of cutting taxes for the middle class, cutting the cost of phone bills, helping students. Uh, It looks like the Liberals are trying to make sure that they stay focused on the middle class because they know that that's probably something that all of the parties can agree to because it it basically uh, helps what I'll say a significant proportion of uh, of Canadians. So so it's kind of like one of those things where it's I'll call it the the kitchen sink. You know, Mm. let's uh, let's maybe maybe what the prime minister and the Liberals are saying in this speech from the throne was let's try to play nice in 2020 because it's been pretty ugly the last couple Mm. months as all of the parties have duked it out in what was quite a negative federal election. Now, I hit uh, control F on the throne speech document and I got a single mention for national unity. They just said unity and zero hits for oil pipeline. Is there enough here to to keep uh, the conservatives and Andrew Scheer happy? Well, I'm not sure if the uh, if the liberals are really significantly focused on making Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives happy right now. They're actually probably more concerned about uh, Jason Kenney and Doug Ford Mm. and their Mm -hmm. strategy. And this includes putting Christia Freeland in as the intergov uh, minister. But what this says to me is that they want to probably keep some flexibility in what they want to do on the Federation, not necessarily pin themselves down in the uh, in the speech from the throne itself. But this this Feature of the throne was really about appealing to the other parties other than the conservatives, appealing to the New Democrats, uh, appealing to the Bloc Québécois, both mm-hmm. basically those two parties, so that they can see that on certain things that uh, there might be instances where they could uh, align with the government in order to pass legislation. For the federal NDP, a national pharmacare plan was a big campaign promise for them. Uh, do you think that this will be a, an achievable promise for the Liberals? Well, I think a lot of it's going to have to come down to dollars and cents. You know, now we're going to be getting ready for the federal budget, right? Like after the speech from the throne, Mm. the next big thing is the federal budget. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where in principle, the liberals and the New Democrats are on the same page in terms of advancing a national pharmacare program. But the devil is in the details on this. And uh, and they also need kind of the I think they the other thing that needs to happen is they need to engage the provinces. Uh, on mm-hmm. this because healthcare is still the provinces still play a leading role in delivering healthcare across the country. So I think uh, the big thing is going to be the dollars and cents. How much will it cost and will it be rich enough uh, for the new Democrats? But you know for the new Democrats, you know right now they're still trying to rebuild their party. They're in the low they're in the mid teens when it comes to popular support and uh, they're probably not going to want to provoke an election. So the question is how far are they willing to go if they don't like what they see on the pharmacare front? 
So what are the numbers right now for the for the parties? Well, we still have uh, a very tight race between the Liberals and the Conservatives. In the latest Natos tracking that we released this week, we have the Liberals at 34, Conservatives only three percentage points back at 31, NDP 17, Green Party at around uh, 9% or thereabouts, Block at 6. Uh, so, you know, Liberals still in, uh, you know, still not significantly ahead of the Conservatives. That said, we have to remember that on election night, the Conservatives mm -hmm. were a little bit ahead of the Liberals. So, uh, so the Liberals are doing a little bit better, but uh, the reality is when it comes to popular support, uh, no honeymoon. Why don't we start off? No honeymoon. Last time there was a honeymoon. Absolutely no right. honeymoon for the Liberals this time <laughs> at all. And, uh, and from, from the perspective of Canadians, they're still pretty well just as divided now as they were, were during the last mm. federal election, which was a very divisive, fracturous election. So Andrew Scheer, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, is still facing calls to resign over that election result. Uh, what are his preferred PM numbers uh, right now compared to Trudeau? I, 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 I don't know. Is that? I'm not sure if that's uh, too technical <laughs> for some people. But uh, or yikes! Uh, you know, we we look at Andrew Scheer. Well, to put this into context, during the election there were times when he was doing quite well personally in terms of his brand, and he was almost statistically tied. Uh, with uh, with Justin Trudeau. Uh, fast forward to, to the latest Nanos tracking that we've just released on the preferred prime minister front. Uh, Justin Trudeau has gone from the low 30s to around 38%. Uh, Andrew Scheer has gone from the high 20s to 21%. So think of that statistical mm. tie during the election being a 17, 17, a 17 mm. point advantage for Justin Trudeau. And uh, what we're seeing, what we're seeing, is a decline. And you know, even when we get to the, we ask Canadians a question: Does Andrew Scheer have the qualities of a good political leader? You know, his numbers have dropped from the low 40s into the mid 30s on this front. I think only about 35% of Canadians think that he has the qualities of a good political leader. So he's not doing well as the campaign. And to put to compare this, Justin Trudeau is at around 53%. So you know, what we're seeing for Andrew Scheer is a drop. A drop in the proportion of Canadians that uh, would give him a tip of the hat as prime minister and also a weakening of his personal brand coming out of the last federal mm -hmm. election. So I can't see any good news for Andrew Scheer. Oh, oh actually, there is some good news. Mm -hmm. the, pra the Prairies. Uh, the, yes. prairies the Prairies is still rock solid for Andrew Scheer on the preferred prime minister front and whether he has the qualities of a good political leader. But basically, mm. once you get outside of the prairie provinces, once you step out of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, it is thin gruel in terms mm. of his personal brand. So he's he's got to somehow turn things around where you know he has traction outside of the prairies if he wants to be viable in terms of challenging the Liberals for the government because we know there's going to be an election 18 to 24 to 36 months from now. And if he wants to stay on as prime minister, he's got to... He's got to have a strategy to have appeal outside of the prairie provinces. So, Nick, you're saying that Scheer is facing most of uh, the dissatisfaction from outside of the prairie provinces. But in terms of his own party, uh, do you think he can survive this? Do you think he can stay on as leader? Well, if there's a bit of a positive lining for Andrew Scheer, the good news for him is that Canadians are not deciding whether he stays on as the leader of the of the conservative party but it will be rank and file conservatives and um, mm -hmm. you know the thing is is 
what are the scenarios under which he can continue as leader? One of them is if there is no clear counterpoint. What do I mean by this? You know, it's one thing for people to be grumpy with his leadership, and it's natural for people to be disappointed when the Conservatives didn't win the greatest number of seats in the House of Commons, even though they won the popular vote. But then mm -hmm. if they don't have someone to replace Andrew Scheer, Andrew Scheer will hold on to the, the leadership. So then the question is, will anyone step forward to challenge Andrew Scheer? The tricky part is no one wants to be the, I was going to say backstabber. No one wants to be the person that stabs <laughs> right. a leader either in the back right. or in the front, right. because they're mm -hmm. usually the ones that also get blamed in the process and get kind of mired. Mm -hmm. so, so two things have to happen. Um, I was going to say, Nick, I mean, one of those critical voices was um, Peter McKay, who's sort of switched over and now shown his support for Andrew Scheer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting part, I was at that uh, Wilson Center event uh, with Peter mm -hmm. McKay. I was the speaker ahead of him. And uh, mm -hmm. I was quite surprised at what uh, Peter McKay said. Uh, but I wasn't really surprised that within a couple of days he was kind of uh, backpedaling pretty hard. So I think right. he just right. he just uh, maybe we maybe, kind of like uh, Justin Trudeau. Maybe he didn't know that the mm -hmm. mic was on. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> he's backpedaled. He's backpedaled right. on that. But um, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is that although conservatives can be grumpy with Andrew Scheer and disappointed at the outcome of the last federal election, for them to get rid of him, they need someone to replace him. So the key thing to watch is, is there anyone that steps forward that is perceived of as being stronger in terms of winnability compared to Andrew Scheer? And mm. uh, unless someone steps forward, it's quite possible that Andrew Scheer could uh, hold on as uh, leader of the Conservatives. So watch out for the party machinations. Let's see whether the knives come out front backstabbing or front stabbing. And then let's see whether there's any uh, any person that steps forward that uh, at least people think might have a better chance of, uh, of challenging the Liberals for the government than Andrew Scheer. Now, Nick, you just mentioned Trudeau there. He was caught on camera saying comments about U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, let's have a listen to that. He's too fast. And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find him to be a very nice guy. But, you know, the truth is that uh, I called him out on the fact that he's not paying 2%. And I guess he's not very happy about it. President Trump not very happy uh, calling Trudeau two-faced. Does this actually play well for Trudeau in Canada? How does this affect his own support? Well, domestically, I don't think there's a, there's probably a sign. There's not a significant downside um, for Donald Trump to say something negative about, uh, I would say, any, uh, or I shouldn't say any, many politicians. So I can't see mm -hmm. this hurting uh, hurting Justin Trudeau uh, in terms of the short term. But, you know, the other thing, you know, when Canadians hear Donald Trump saying stuff like that, they're actually not just thinking about what Donald Trump has said. They're thinking about the USMCA. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty clear that, you know, we need uh, we need to have stability in terms of our business and trade relationship with the United States. They're still our most important trading partner. And I think uh, if there's any downside, people will just be going, okay, so I understand uh, what Trump has said, but what does that mean for us? Does that mean that he's, you know, does that have any impact or does that impact 
what he thinks about USMCA uh, or not. And uh, I think that's the political risk, at least for, uh, for Justin Trudeau at this point. And Nick, this isn't the first time Trudeau has been caught in an embarrassing situation. So what's going on with his communications? I, I think that, well, it's a big head scratcher. It's kind of like a series of communications malfunctions. You know, whether he's dealing with the Chinese, dealing with Asia-Pacific countries who are being upset about changes, uh, you know, dealing, and now, you know, NATO, India, there's like always a communications malfunction. And the, and the weird thing about all of this is that prime mm -hmm. ministers do these foreign trips and go to these different summits in order to look prime ministerial and to build their brand. But you know what? It seems every time Justin Trudeau steps out of Canada, that there's some type of controversy that's dogging, dogging him. And the twist in all of this is that it looks like most of the time it's self-inflicted. So, you know, it's a bit of a head scratcher. So, I don't know, when he's in Canada, it seems he's doing much better than he is uh, when he goes uh, outside of Canada. And that's a wrap, Nick, not only on this episode, but also this entire season of Trendline. We will be back in the new year. To all of our listeners and subscribers, thank you for listening. We'll see you next year. Uh, Nick, what's your big takeaway for this season of Trendline? The big takeaway for this season is topsy-turvy, right? We had the Liberals up. Mm -hmm. We had the Conservatives up. We had Justin Trudeau make mistakes. We had Andrew Scheer make mistakes. It's been a topsy-turvy time for all of Canadians, uh, for the two frontrunners for sure. And uh, right now we are in a time of uncertainty that loads us in to 2020. So buckle up. It's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride, and who knows what will happen in 2020. And Nick, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, at N-I-K, Nick Nanos, or on the web at www.nanos.co. And you can find me on Twitter, at Michael Stittle. This podcast was produced by Trevor Coral, Jesse Taharelli, and Phil Hahn. Our executive producer is Liz Travers. Sound editing was done by Jesse Taharelli. And of course, it's hosted by myself, Michael Stiddle, and Nick Nanos. Thanks for listening.